Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. It's good to meet you. My name is Justin, and I'm excited to be here today. It's always an honor to be able to open the Word of God together and, uh, and to be instructed by God's Word, be taught by God's Word, and I hope you came today. Uh, ready to receive. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to look across the room and see a bunch of people who are pressing in just a little bit, who are leaning in just a little bit, and whose expectation is growing. Tonight, as uh, as we look to the Word, I want to share a message in this, this theme of messages, this series of messages called Be About It. Be About It which means we're not just going to talk about it. We want to be about it. We want to put action to the things we say we believe. We don't want to be people who just talk about our faith, but people who actually activate our faith. Not just doing more things, but living out in the fullness of what we we claim to believe. Probably one of the most frequent uh, critiques of Christian faith is people say this, oh, a whole bunch of hypocrites. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that? Maybe you said that. Maybe you've been that. But the reality is this, there is nothing more hypocritical for us than to say we believe something and never put it into action. We want to be a group of people who will really be about it. And so in that, in that theme and in keeping with that topic, tonight I want to share a, a message called, yeah, what did you expect? Yeah, what did you expect? You know, expectation is a pretty powerful thing. Expectation is linked to our faith. It's linked to what we are hoping for. Expectation is something that I believe God responds to. Expectation, it creates an environment in our heart and in our soul for God to be at work. And so tonight, I, I just want to ask you, like, what did you expect? In, in the book of Judges chapter 13, there is a, a man named Manoah. And Manoah was from a region called Zorah. And Manoah and his wife were unable to have kids. They had no babies, and, uh, and they longed for them. They wanted, they wanted children. Well, one day, man, the greatest thing happened to Manoah's wife. She was, she was out in the field doing something, and, and an angel of God appeared to her. An angel of the Lord, look what he says here in Judges chapter 13. It says this, a certain man of Zorah named Manoah, Uh, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant. You're going to give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you don't eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant. You'll have a son whose head will never be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. So here she goes in a moment from being a a woman who's childless to a woman who can begin to expect that she will give birth to a champion. Like expectation that she's about to give birth to someone who would bring leadership and deliverance to their entire nation. Well, she's excited. Her expectation is now on 10. She comes home to her husband, Manoah. Look what she says. Uh, verse 6, then the woman went to her husband. She told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. That's in the Bible. I love that that's in the Bible. In fact, the book of Judges is written in like this very functional 
easy, simplistic type of Hebrew. And so it's like a little choppy like that. A man of God appeared to me. He looked like an angel. Very awesome. And goes on to say this. Look at, I didn't even ask him where he came from. Uh, he didn't tell me his name, but he did say this. You will become pregnant. You're going to have a son. And she goes on to tell her husband this. Check out what Manoah does. I just think this is so compelling. Here's Manoah's response. He then prays to the Lord. Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you, let the man of God you sent come back to us again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Interesting that that Manoah's first thought was that God appearing to humanity was about God transmitting his expectations to us. But the truth is that when God appears to humanity, when God reveals himself to humanity, it's about our expectation being uh, lifted. God is not revealing himself to, to give a list of rules. He's not revealing himself so that we can now have more information to, to process. And here Manoah, he's immediately going like, okay, cool, that's great news that we're going to have a son, but what's the rules? What are God's expectations of us? But, you know, God is revealing himself so that, that our expectations and our hope and our faith would actually rise. Isn't it amazing how often we think that the only reason God would ever want to talk to us is to tell us what we're doing wrong? Like, like that's why some people never open up their Bible. It's why some people never walk into a church building. It's why some people are scared to pray. They think, well, if I pray, God's probably going to remind me of all the things I'm doing wrong. And here's God. He's trying to lift our expectation. He's trying to instill promise, trying to instill hope within us. Let's pray together and then, and then dive into this thought. Jesus, we love you a lot and we're grateful that we could be in your house tonight. And uh, I pray that you'd help us to, to be about it when it comes to faith, when it comes to activating what we believe. I ask that expectation and hope would rise in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. So I got a new phone a couple weeks ago. Pretty excited about it. Pretty excited about it. The, the present phone I have has a couple cracks, a few scratches. Uh, I, I live a dangerous life. Uh, I, I live like the case-free life. It's high risk, high reward. <laughs> Some people are like, why? I just, I, I don't know. I, it was designed this way and it cost that much for a reason, right? It's got some scratches. It's kind of slowed down, of course, because they released a new one, right? It happens every time. And, uh, and so I, w- I was excited for a, a new phone. And, uh, and when I ordered it, I had to wait a little while. And I don't love waiting. Are you with me? Like, I would prefer to know the timing. How many people love the invention of the tracking number? You can know exactly where your stuff is, right? You're like, can I get a tracking number for that? I just want to know where it's at. And, uh, and so I had a tracking number, and, and I was expecting it to show up on a certain day. And I logged on, and I typed in my tracking number, only to see it hadn't even left the warehouse yet. Frustrating. A couple days passed, and finally the, the alert came. The tracking number had come and said, it's been dropped off. It's been delivered. It's waiting for you at the office. Well, I came to the office, and there it was. You know that, that feeling? You unwrap it, and then you open the box, and it's like, right? It's crazy. I'm excited. Excited about this phone. crazy thing is that my phone has actually stayed in this box for two weeks. I've had it for two weeks. I was excited for it as, as it came closer. But I've been, been pretty full over these last couple of weeks, and so I haven't had the appropriate amount of time that it takes to upgrade from the phone that I have to this one. Because you know it takes time, right? 
Like you got to plug it in, and then it tells you you're three updates behind, and then you got to scan things like fingerprints and retinas and whatever else it needs, and then and then you got to type in codes, and then you got to remember passwords, and then it asks you to verify. You're like, what other possible thing could you need to know? I have given you everything from birth date to postal code to every other thing, and that's like we'll send you a verification code, and you go through all of that, and then you sit and wait, right, while the little bar works its way across. Because you don't want to be that person who says, got a new phone, lost my contacts, DM me on Facebook if you want to get a hold of me, right? You, you want to upgrade to this. It's, it's crazy. I'm excited about this phone, but I haven't even used it yet. I'm excited about like where my potential is moving towards, but I just haven't even taken it out of the box. And I wonder for us how often that is true of our faith. It's like there is, there is an upgrade. There's more. God is leading us into more. He's calling us into more. When we open up the pages of Scripture, we can say, certainly God has more in store for us. And then we gather together on a Sunday. We're like, guys, let me tell you about the features of more. More clarity. More speed. More power. And they're like, "Woo, more sounds great. And then we put it back in the little box. And we're like, well, one day when I have more time. One day when I have have enough time to, to sit down and work it through, then I'm going to grow in my faith. Then I'm going to actually take hold of it. I know people who this has been the season they got stuck in. They got stuck what they thought would be a, a short season, and now it's years. They're like, yeah, my faith. You know, it's important to me. It's like pretty important, but I'll, I'll get back to it when I have more time. So on this thought of expectation, I, I really believe that God responds to expectation. I believe that expectation or simply growing in the type of hope and faith that we might have, that God is actually on our side, that that very thing could be a game changer for everyone in this room. Like when we sing that song tonight, I'm going to see a victory. Oh, I like that song. I like that it's not like there is a victory. It's I'm going to see it. It's a proclamation. It's a declaration. It's a, a statement of expectation and faith that not only is there a victory out there somewhere, I'm going to see it and I'm going to live in it. And I'm going to take hold of it. God responds to expectation. But here we think when he reveals himself, it's just to tell us all that he expects of us. The truth is he's trying to lift up our eyes and to lift up our hope and respond to the expectation we have. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. I like this story. Acts chapter 3. It's a story about expectation. Check it out. Acts chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. One day. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at about three in the afternoon. Now a man who was there who had been lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he had been put day by day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention expecting to get something from them. Let's just take a couple of notes from this story right here. They're on their way to the temple, which was a normal thing to do. The Bible says it was one day. It doesn't record what day it was because it was just a normal day. There was nothing particularly special about this day that they found themselves on the way into the temple. As they went to the temple, which would have been their typical thing to do, on any normal day, nothing particularly special about this day. You know, I believe that often the miraculous things happen in our life in normal, typical days. 
that, that like some of the greatest miracles could happen in our life in, in unexpected times. Like, like sometimes we put expectation on certain times, events, or days as if it's the time, event, or day that makes the difference, but it's actually God that makes the difference. It's actually the power of God into the normalcy of your day-to-day life that the power of God, when you encounter it, can make all the difference in the world, but we build it up. Oh, man, once I finish finish university, then something's going to happen. Lightning is going to strike. No, no, no. God can move right here and now. And so we put this expectation on, oh, once I'm, there's this person, I, they're out there somewhere, and when I meet them and they come flying up on a magic carpet and we go for a ride, then I'll know, and then everything's just going to fall in place in my life. No, 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 no. God can work on just a, any particular day, just one day. They're on their way to the temple to pray, which would have been a pretty normal thing for them to do. And there was a man there who had been crippled from birth. Do you know, the Bible says this, that we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we've all been born with the inability to get from where we are to where we'd like to be. Like we are built in such a way, created in such a way, that, that we have a longing and a desire to be in relationship with God, but we're incapable of getting there by ourselves. In fact, we've been that way since birth. From the very moment we were born, we were born into sin, separated from God and incapable of maneuvering ourselves from where we are now in our sinfulness to where we'd long to be, which is in relationship with God. This man, because of his crippledness, had been brought and put near the temple every day. I think it's interesting that he was near the temple but not in it. He was by the temple but not engaged in it. You know, there'd be a lot of people in the room today and maybe a lot of people in the culture today who are kind of near God, but not not in relationship with God. They're near church. They're just not in community in church. They're near truth. They just haven't taken hold of engaged in truth. They're around it. They're kind of close enough to make some observations, but they haven't really stepped in and said, I'm going to be about it. I'm going to actually engage in. So here is this man crippled from birth who's been dropped off right by the church. I don't know about you, that sounds like a pretty discouraging place to be. He, he's by a, a gate called beautiful, but his circumstance didn't feel all that beautiful. And the Bible said he had been put there. Didn't even have a choice how to get there. He was just dropped off there. I don't know who dropped him off, a friend, a family member, but somebody. It was their task, their job to bring him, as it says he did daily. Every day they would bring him out, and they would, would, would bring him to a spot, and they would just put him there. You ever had anything in your life that kind of brought you here? I'm like, I don't know, just my pain kind of got me here. My hurt sort of brought me here. My past kind of just, here I am. How'd you get here? I don't know, I just kind of arrived. Life just sort of dropped me off here. You know, my, 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 my parents lived a certain way, and now I feel like I'm just falling right into that same thing, and here I am, I've been brought here. And, and so this man was brought to a place and dropped off near but not in, fellowship with God. He was by a gate called beautiful, but it didn't feel all that beautiful. Now, the one potentially advantageous thing about positioning himself there is that that he had people into and, and out of church, on their way into and out of church. And I imagine the hope and expectation would be that people going into or out of church might be the type of people who would drop him a coin or two. Now, if you're in the service industry, you know that might not always be true of Christians, but we can get there, guys. We can be better tippers. So there he was near the gate called Beautiful. And he was waiting for someone to to notice him and 
for people on their way by to drop them a few coins. As Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, which is what they did every day, they were making their way there. This man calls out to them and asks them for for some coins. The Bible says that Peter and John stopped and that they looked at him. And interestingly, then they needed to ask the man to look back at them. Like, consider his countenance. Consider his frame of reference. Consider, at this point in time, his, his body language. I mean, how much does body language tell you about someone? Science would say that, that we learn more from someone's tone and body language than we do from the words that they say, which makes con- conversing over text a pretty dangerous thing, especially if you're really trying to get your emotion across and the other person's assuming you're saying it with one set of tone and, and you're, you're speaking in a totally different tone. And so here they are, they're walking by, he's asking for coins, he's not even looking at them. I mean, potentially he's so discouraged and so defeated, it's like, what's the point of looking up just to be rejected again? Or perhaps he's so distracted by all the options that he's already looking to someone else. He's already written Peter and John off because they didn't initially drop a coin. We don't know exactly what the reason would be. All we know is that he wasn't looking at them so much so that it says Peter looked at him, then John looked at him, then Peter said, hey, eyes up here, bro. Look at us. It says at that point, the man looked at them expecting to get some money. I think that's a pretty normal thing to expect, right? He was asking for money. They stopped. They say, look at us. So he looks up. Interestingly, we know from the way Jesus taught that that it was common for Pharisees when they were giving uh, in a significant way to make a show about it, right? This is a common thing. In fact, Jesus is one point in the temple and he sees sees a group of Pharisees. They're the religious types of people. They're coming in with bags of money and they're they're going like, okay, everyone. Here we go, going to give some money right now. And, and they made like this big ordeal about it. And Jesus goes, that's not the kind of giving I'm looking for. By the way, that lady over there, she just gave two pennies and it was all she had. That was awesome. And Jesus draws attention to, to that type of discreet and extravagant faithful giving. It was a common thing for Pharisees to make a big deal of it. I just wonder if this crippled man that day was thinking, oh, I know their type. I know their type. They want to make a show about it. It's cool. I mean, I'm going to get some, some money out of it. Either way, it's, it's, it's part of the job. Either way, he looks up to them, and the Bible says specifically he was expecting to receive something from them. He was expecting that there might be an exchange of money that took place. Look at verse 6. Then Peter says this, silver or gold I do not have. That's disappointing. He's like, I looked up at you guys for nothing. Like, thanks a lot for getting my expectation up. Thanks a lot for giving me momentary hope. That was nothing. So silver and gold we don't have. But what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped the man up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. 
When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What a beautiful, simple story. A story about expectation. You see, there's this thing that takes place, this pause that takes place when Peter and John call him to stop. They say, stop looking other places. Lift your eyes from your discouragement. Focus in from your distraction. Just give us your attention for a minute. Give us your attention and and raise that expectation. And, And the man's expectation began to raise. But then what God did was exceedingly above anything he could imagine. What he was hoping for in that moment was a couple of coins. What he was hoping for in that moment is maybe they were the type who would make a spectacle of it and give him a lot of coins. But either way, it was a monetary financial exchange that he was hoping for. And what he got was so much more. But I think there's something crucial about the fact that he began to expect. I actually think there's something crucial about the fact that he allowed his heart to open up just a little bit that he was going to receive something. He didn't know what it was going to be, but he began to believe. Imagine how the story goes. He's asking for coins, and they stop, and Peter looks at him, and John looks at him, and then they're like, hey, hey, buddy, look at us. And he's like, nah, I'm over it. No, I know your type. I can tell from your shoes you're not going to give me anything. You know, there's got to be someone, someone better. I, I can see your shoes. It doesn't look like you have, have the kind of money I'm looking for. Uh, next. Like, imagine how different the story goes. And then, so Peter and John were like, cool. And they went and prayed. But there's that moment of pause that takes place where expectation is, is it's like planted like a seed and just begins to grow in the soil of his heart. And then God, in his good grace, far exceeds the man's expectation. Why is it so important for us to expect? Because because God longs to exceed your expectations. Why is it so important for us to, to hope for something? Because God, over and above, exceeds what we could hope for. Why is it so important that, that we would have enough faith to even put ourselves out there and ask? Because Jesus can do more than we could ever ask for. But I wonder if often we eliminate that process from ever taking place because we never even begin to expect anything. Now he gets up, he's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. He's now in the temple that he was by. He's with the people that used to pass him by. He's with the people who recognized him well enough to know, hey, that's the crippled guy. He's not crippled anymore. And everyone who sees it is filled with awe and wonder at what had happened to him. I wonder if that could be a story told of you and I. That those in our life, that those around our sphere of influence could look at our life and be filled with awe and wonder and amazement saying, I know where you came from. That's not normal. I, like, I, I know the things you've struggled with. That's not normal. That you would go from crippled to leaping. That you would go from addicted to sober. That you'd go from embittered to joyful. That you'd go from depressed to hopeful. That you'd go from slanderous to honoring. 
you'd move from greedy to generous. That you'd go from wasteful to conscientious. That you'd go from belligerent to kind. Like it's just not normal. You're, you're the one that I used to know of as being weak, but now I see in you great strength. You're the one that I observed falling short, but here you are exceeding. There's something awesome and amazing about it. You see, what happens in that moment is Jesus gets the glory. Like Jesus does. Not Peter or John. Peter and John actually say, we don't really have anything but Jesus. But we'll give you what we got. Like we received all of the grace from Jesus freely, and so we're following his instruction. Freely we've received, now we freely we're giving. I, I don't have much to give except for everything. I got Jesus, and that will actually meet all your needs. And so Jesus gets all the glory out of this interaction. You know, that's what God longs to do in your life and in my life through our collective weaknesses that God could actually be glorified in our weaknesses because he comes in like a flood and he responds to the things we ask for. You see, the thing I love about this story is that that Peter, not very long before this, did not understand how this thing worked. Like, Like Peter, it was not that long before, was in relationship with Jesus and missed the mark over and over. Peter, he went on to miss the mark again. He was flawed. He was imperfect. He, he, he was not necessarily the type of person you'd look at and say, that's the type of guy I'm going to follow. He was a little bit erratic at times, and yet Jesus was able to use someone like Peter because Peter understood this kind of simple reality, this simple fact, that it wasn't his power, it was God's, that it wasn't his conviction or his excitement or his anticipation, it was God moving in power. You see, in John chapter 16, Peter and his friends were, were with Jesus, and Jesus was about to be denied and, and taken to the cross. He was about to be rejected by Peter and his friends. And before being rejected, Peter, he, uh, uh, Jesus, he speaks to them, and as he's speaking, he gives them some, some interesting, clarifying instruction. Look over in, at this in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, if you were in New West this morning, I made reference to this same scripture this morning. John chapter 16 and verse 16, Jesus went to them and said this, In a little while you will see me no more, but then after a little while you will see me again. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does that mean? Why is he saying in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me again? Because I'm going to the Father. They kept asking one another, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is talking and they interrupt like the point of his story. They interrupt the whole purpose for which he's speaking. It's his opening statement. He goes, just just want you guys to know before I tell you what I'm about to tell you, that you won't see me in a little while. But then in a little while, you'll see me again. Okay? And he goes to talk and they all glaze over. They all tune out. And they all get distracted. And they all start focusing on that one statement. Like, a little while? What What does he mean by a little while? Can you not be more specific? Like, Jesus, like, are we talking days, months, years, weeks, hours, seconds? Ah! 
And it says they're all asking each other, but no one even asked Jesus. It's crazy. I don't know what the setting was like. It, it, it's like during the Last Supper and in those final moments, so it's just them. And they all start asking each other, hey, James, do you understand what Jesus is saying? John, you're the one who's always like cuddled up to Jesus. What is a little while to Jesus? Peter, you got anything for me? And they're all confused by this. And so Jesus interjects. He goes, hey, are you guys wondering what I mean by a little while? Isn't it crazy how quick we are? Like, like Jesus is revealing this powerful truth to them. And the thing that they get stuck up on is the detail. The thing they get caught up in is, is, is in like the timing. You got a detailed person in your life? Anybody? You got like that detailed coworker, that detailed friend, and you haven't even got your idea out, and they're like, okay, I got seven questions. You're like, no, no, no. I haven't told you the idea yet. You're not allowed to have detail-oriented questions yet. They can come in a minute, but not yet. I'm still dreaming. Like sometimes you just need to let us dream for just a minute before you ask all the questions. What's your, what do you think that's going to cost, and when are we going to do it? I don't know. It was an idea. And so like they, they glaze over, and they, they dive straight into the details. Well, what do you mean by a little while? Like how long are we going to have to wait? Like what should we expect? What, what should we expect? Should we expect to wait a little while or a little, little while? And they're getting locked in on this, and Jesus is like, whoa, 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 okay. L- let me just kind of explain the heart of what I'm trying to say before you get stuck in the details. Because what I want to happen here is actually – to give you confidence. What I want to do in this this conversation is not to bog you down in details. I actually want to instill confidence and expectation within you. I don't want your expectation to be so small that the first time something hard happens, you give up. I don't want your expectation to be so shallow that the first time difficulty comes knocking at your door, you back down and shrink back. Here's what's going to happen. You're not going to see me in a little while. He was literally talking about like a few hours from now. When he was taken into custody, they would all scatter. He said, but that is not the end. Like the, the, the sadness you will experience is not the end. He says, you're going to grieve while the rest of the world rejoices. People around you will be excited while you feel pain. But the pain will turn around. I'm telling you today, you might be in the room, you're like, man, it seems like everyone else is going to see a victory because the battle belongs to the Lord, but I'm feeling pain. And here's Jesus speaking to you. I promise you, the pain you're feeling will pass. Like there is something on the other side, either here on earth or in eternity, you will experience joy in place of the pain you're feeling right now. And that's what I want to transmit to you. And you're like, when? No, 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 no. It's not what it's about. It's about who. It's not about when. It's about understanding the nature of God. And so he says this, others will be excited and you're going to be grieving. But here's what you need to know. Look at, look at this, John 16, go down to verse, uh, verse 23. He says, in that day, you'll no longer have to ask me anything, like, like the details you're asking for, the timeline that you're looking for. You won't be worried about the timeline when you understand how good I am. He says, you won't even have to ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. That's game changing. God wants your joy to be complete. He actually wants you you to be joyful. They were like, if I had details, that would be helpful. God wants to be more than helpful. He wants to be joy instilling. He actually wants to pour joy into your life. 
And so he says this, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time will come when I'll no longer use this kind of language, but I'll tell you plainly about my father. In that day, you will ask in my name. Now, I'm not saying that I will ask the father on your behalf. No, no, no. The father himself loves you because you've loved me and you've believed that I came from God. I came from the father. I entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the father. Go down to verse uh, verse 33. It says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Love what Jesus is saying. He's saying like, like when you get a hold of this, you'll understand how much authority you have. You will understand the close position that you have with the Father. Right now, the only way you've understood God is just by the interaction you're having with me and you're seeing this glimpse of who God is. But when you understand who I am truly, then you know that you have access to the Father. He says, like, you don't have to pray to me and then I'll go ask God. You don't have to ask me as if God is distant from you and close to me. He goes, because of what I'm about to do on the cross, you will have access to the Father. And the Father will love you because you've loved me. Now, I used to read this incorrectly. It was good for, like, striking a little fear in me. It just wasn't true. I used to think that this meant that the reason God loves me is because I love Jesus. That the more I love Jesus, the more God loves me. Do you get where I could, like, catch that from that that scripture? I, I used to think that because I came up with the idea of loving Jesus and showing obedience to God, that then God was like, okay, you're cool. Just don't stop loving Jesus, all right? Like just don't, just don't deviate with your actions and your behavior, and we'll we'll still be cool. But the truth of what Jesus is saying this: you can know how much God loves you, like because you love me, and love was my idea, and the fact that you're capable of giving it back. Well, God really does love you. Take your hand if you have if you have have a hand free. Can you just take your right hand and put it on your your left wrist? Maybe put it on the side of your neck. Just feel for a pulse. All right, take a moment. Feel for a pulse. See if you can find a pulse. If you can't, do we have a, a medic in the room? Okay, if you can't find a pulse, ask the person beside you, do I look dead? You see that pulse? You feel it? That pulse that's that, that's beating. Like, did that pulse make your heart beat? Of course not. Of course not. Your heart didn't beat because your pulse told it to. Your pulse is an indication that your heart was beating. Right? Like, like. The, the blood pressure in your wrist did not send a signal to your heart that it's time to beat again. The blood pressure in your wrist is an indication that your heart's doing its job. This is what Jesus is saying. When you love me, when you understand that you love me, that's just an indication of how much God loves you. Man, it's his, it's his heart of love that's beating for you. And the overflow of that is that you can actually respond in love to me. The Bible says we only love because he first loved us. Our love is a response to God. So Jesus says this, hey, I want you to understand what I'm about to do for you. It will require that for a little while I'm gone. But when I return, then you're really going to know that you have a place in position to God the Father where if you ask for anything, it's yours. Like you can ask God with confidence because it's yours. You don't have to have to wonder what God thinks of you. Just feel that pulse. Like, Woo, I'm still alive. God is on my side. And then we see not very long later, Peter, no money to his name, walking into the church to pray. 
being asked for some coins. And he says, well, I don't have much, but I know one thing. I can use the name of Jesus. I don't have much, but I know this. God hears me. Like, I don't have a bank account that I could share with you. Have you ever been asked for money? You're like, sorry, I don't carry any change. Like, that could have been Peter's answer. Sorry, bro, I don't have any shekels on me. He goes, I don't have much, but I do know this, that I can actually confidently stand in the presence of God the Father, and when I speak, he listens. And when I talk, his ear is turned to me. Why? Because of Jesus. And so he says, here's what I want to share with you, but, but get your hopes up. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And, he, like, and heaven hears, and heaven responds, and God on his throne is like, my boy Peter is asking for healing. It is nothing for me to share it. Like, it's easy for me to respond. It's easy for me to respond. He's understood the authority that he has in me. The thought that's just been ringing through my mind all week and that I've felt God convicting my heart on. I just don't think we ask enough. I don't think we expect enough. I, I think our expectations of God are vague. Like they're not very clarifying, not very detailed, not very vivid, you might say. Our expectations of God are kind of like, okay, hey, God, just do some stuff. I hope, maybe, sorry. Like, like if, you're, if your prayer, your request to God involve you negotiating yourself down, like, God, this would be amazing, but you know what? This would be good too, and I'll be fine with bad. Like that's not, that's not a prayer of faith, right? And we, we thought it's holy. It's just it's missing the mark. God, oh, you're God anyway. Whatever you're going to do. I'm sorry for bothering you. And I was like, here's heaven. Here's God, like, on the edge of his seat, like, oh, oh, that's it? That's all you expect? Like, thanks for the permission to do what I was going to do anyway. Right? Prayed that pray- I prayed that prayer before. God, whatever, whatever you had in your heart to do anyway, just do it. He's like, wow, thank you for the permission. I am all-powerful, but wow, now I know I can do what I was going to do. But God's heart is like, it's, it's connected and it's compassionate. And, and I don't know, I get stumped sometimes by the Bible. I look through it and you see it over and over and over again. You begin to look for this theme and you can't unsee it. Jesus is like, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Agree together in agreement. And if two or more are coming in agreement, I'm with you. It's like, if you ask, you will receive. You don't have because you haven't asked. It's over and over and over and over in Scripture. But sometimes, I, I don't know about you, I've just I've asked too small of God. Or I've asked too infrequently of God. I want to begin to ask more. More qualitatively and more quantitatively. I want to ask more of God, but I also want to ask of God more often. I want to be the type of person who, who prayer is my first response, not my last resort. I don't want to be the type of person that goes, there's no hope left. I guess all we can do is pray. I've exhausted every other possible option. Now I'm stuck in this really bad position where the only thing I can do is pray. When Jesus has said, when you speak, heaven listens. When you speak, God listens. Like you are on God's mind. The Bible says in James chapter 4, we have not because we ask not. I think you could take it further and say we, we ask not because we believe not. Like, like we don't ask because we just don't believe. We don't ask because we have no expectation. We don't ask because the Bible says this, faith is the substance 
or the firming of what we hope for, but because we hope for nothing, we have faith for nothing. Like, like we, we've got no hope, so how could, we, how could hope be substantiated into anything when we have no hope? And so my message for us tonight is let's begin to expect. Let's begin to, to, to lean in some expectation and trust that, that God's actually on our side, that God's actually for us. That, that if his words are true, he's saying this, I'm not here to give you all the details of expectations. What I am here to do is, is kind of like fan back into flame that hope on the inside of you. I want to give you my peace. That, that when you're walking through something, you're going to get through on the other side, and I'm going to be there waiting for you. That when you're in the middle of it, you can call on the Lord, and he hears. We have not because we ask not. We ask not because we believe not. And the Bible would say this, that the only way people grow in what they believe is by hearing what God is saying. Meaning that, that when we open the words of Scripture, every time we do, it's an opportunity for us to grow in faith. Every time we do, it's an opportunity to understand that the same God of the Bible is the same God who sits on the throne today. And he's still on our side. And he's still capable of healing. And he still cares enough to, to bind up broken hearts. And he still puts the lonely in families. And he still gives wisdom where it's asked for. And he still sets us free and redeems our life from the pit. And he still is a deliverer. And he's still an encourager. And he's still the lifter of our heads. Are you with me today? Like he's the same. And so when we look to the word of God, our hope begins to rise. When our hope begins to rise, man, it solidifies into faith and we begin to ask God for things. So I want to encourage us, let's be the type of people who ask. Let's ask more of God. Let's ask more and let's ask more often. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.